Welcome to the Bakersfield Business Partners Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Alan Medeiros, and we have a guest in our studio, Mr. Duncan Harris with Insurance Savings Group. How are you today? Doing good. Thanks, Alan. You know, it's funny because we switched roles for this today. <laughs> uh, historically, you've yeah. been the uh, host, but because of the nature of the fact that you can't, well, you could talk to yourself. I don't know if that'd be the greatest thing, but you know, I, you seem like the person, Duncan, that gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror and says, you're going to have a great day. I was about to say, I talk to myself all the time. Yeah. yeah. Positive reinforcement yeah. is a fantastic thing. Well, uh, Duncan, personal friend of mine, client, you know, I'm really uh, honored to have this opportunity to do the hosting. So thanks for uh, spending the time with us this morning. So I want to go ahead and jump right into it for the listeners as well as those that are viewing this and just ask you some questions. Is that okay? Sure. That sounds right. good. Let's do it. So insurance savings group, mm -hmm. tell us more of how you got started in all of this. Yeah, so let me go back a little bit. Actually, my my training is in aviation. I worked at the airport for a year and quickly realized if I was going to do anything in aviation, I'd have to leave Bakersfield really to kind of climb that ladder. So um, the opportunity presented itself at Fallgetter Roads Insurance of all places where my father-in-law works and he owns that agency. Um, someone had left there and I, I was just kind of leaving my my job in the aviation industry and it the timing just worked out. And there's actually a lot of crossover between like insurance and aviation. Maybe it doesn't seem logical okay, or intuitive. You need to tie that together a bit more. Yeah. So me. look, a lot of aviation is checklist and you're flying by your instruments and by the numbers. So it's very analytical. Um, there's all these processes and, and checks that you do. So with insurance and finance, really kind of the same thing. You know, you really have to analyze the numbers and go through a process. Um, so that that part of it appealed to me. Um, anyhow, so yeah, I, I started at Fallgetter Roads in 2009. I was there for 10 years and a great agency. After 10 years, I thought, Hey, I, I'd like to have my own agency. So I bought my book of business from Fallgetter Roads and have been on my own for three years. So that's kind of the story. Um, I did start my own business a couple years before I left Fallgetter Roads. The other thing I do besides insurance is I'm also a third party administrator. So I administer flexible spending accounts, health savings accounts, uh, the savings group accounts that we have for our members. So I started that um, in 2015. So is it safe to say that your practice includes insurance services as well as uh, third-party administration? Yeah, exactly. So as an insurance agent, I really focus on, um, on medical coverage. So that would be health insurance policies for individuals, that's Medicare for seniors, and it's employee benefits for businesses. So I really uh, focus on those three things. And it really is like medical, dental, vision, and some life policies kind of through all those um, different markets. And then the other part of it is the third party administration where we go out, we're licensed, we've, we've bought software, uh, and then our members have like debit cards that they can use to help pay for their out-of-pocket medical, dental, and vision expenses, you know? so. A lot of those accounts have like tax benefits and there's different features that people like. So it really, it really helps me. I think it, it makes me a really well-rounded agent where I can go and talk to someone uh, and give them good counsel or advice on their insurance policy, as well as like maybe how to save money um, and even like just help paying for out-of-pocket medical bills. So I really feel like, um, you know, just like we're giving really good, well-rounded counsel to our clients. As you've gone through this journey, kind of going from insurance services to employee benefits, what really drew you to being more specialized in that? Well, that's where I started, you know, so the the back in 2009, that's where I started. Um, Fallgetter Roads was really focused on like the other parts of insurance, you know, so ensuring like your building and work comp and then doing liability coverage. Um, but they started a benefits department and that's just where I jumped into and honestly, just kind of never looked back. I, I, I was just focused on that. And I think really maybe what kind of like got, got its claws in me was like Obamacare. So I was brand new when Obamacare was being uh, debated and then eventually passed. You know, So I started in 2009, Obamacare was passed in 2010. So as a brand new agent, I, I made it my really uh, primary focus to learn that law and understand it. And then I could explain it to my clients. And we were doing seminars for our clients at the time. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I think my competition was not as focused on it maybe as I was, but eventually what happened was people kind of saw me as like, Hey, this guy knows, he knows all the new rules. He's helping people with cover California. So it really kind of cemented my place, I think in health insurance, um, at that time, just because, uh, it kind of changed my role from like new agent to more of like, Hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. And people were kind of seeking me out. In this instance, with regards to your business plan, <clears throat> how is it that you are looking for new clients? Well, you know, we do a lot of things. Uh, just did a Medicare seminar, um, have a website. We we have done some advertising, um, but most of the vast majority of my new clients are word of mouth referral. So obviously BNI is a big part of that. Bakersfield Business Partners is a big part of that. But man, we really um, encourage our clients to to give us referrals. I shouldn't say we encourage them. We really thank them when they come in. You know, so I ask when people call me, I'll say, hey, how'd you get my phone number? And they'll say, oh, you know, so-and-so told me about you and that you did a great job. So I actually send all of my clients that send me referrals. I send them thank yous. I give them little gifts. Thank you so much. And... Uh, the other part of it is just taking care of people and, and people appreciate that. So my phone, my phone seems to ring. It's been ringing. I'm very fortunate, very blessed, um, to, to just kind of have that word of mouth referral system coming in. So was an ideal client as far as profile, <clears throat> if we were to say, you know, even though you have good word of mouth referral based business, if somebody is saying, well, why should I call Duncan or his uh, firm? What would be an ideal referral for because you? I have a nice voice. That's nice. Why, that's, that's why they'd want to call me. Mm -hmm. No, no. So look, let's let's talk about those three market segments. So um, let's start with just individuals. So individual health insurance, most of that goes through Covered California here in the state of California. Great referral for me is like a self-employed person. They don't have employees, but they need health insurance coverage. They have a family. You know, we're looking for long-term relationships. So that person's going to sign up with me. We're going to get them an individual policy and. Hopefully they'll be my client for a long time. Um, we also help people that just lost their job. They need coverage while they're looking for their next job. But as an insurance agent, like we make our money when we make just a little bit amount every month. So we really kind of make uh, our money over the long term. So a lot of times these people, these individual clients, they, they come, they sign up for three months, they get another job, they leave. We're happy to help them, but it's not like an ideal referral. Sure. So the self-employed person is great for us. Maybe it's the um, early retiree. They retired at 60. They need a policy between, you know, age 60 and 65 when they go into Medicare. Uh, any, any Medicare referral is a great referral for us. The Medicare clientele is probably my favorite demographic. Uh, by far the most interesting, the most life experience. They they seem to pay their bills on time. They they understand the importance of having, you know, decent health insurance coverage. Um, so they're always very engaged. So I, I love uh, my Medicare clients. So that would be anyone like 65 and over. And then for, for businesses, you know, by far the majority of my revenue comes from employee benefits, comes from my business clients. So I really like working with employers, with owners that care about their employees. And when you have that, it permeates throughout the company. The employees know it. They just feel it. And uh, so when we go in and we're talking about health insurance with an owner that cares about their employees, this may sound really weird, but the, the opposite is the, the, the person who doesn't care. So when we talk to an employer that cares about their employees, there's all these um, negotiations and nuances and intricacies and and sacrifices that he makes to make sure his he or she to make sure that the employees are taken care of. We offer more than one plan. We have we alter contribution rates. We make sure dependents are taken care of. So it's actually a much more complex, much more stimulating interaction. If we go into a company and they're like, we look at the bottom line and you know, we see the rates are going up 12%. We don't care, you know, pass it on to the employees. Uh, you know, we'll take that client all day long, but um, everyone there is less satisfied. You know, like the owner's just looking at the bottom line and the employees kind of know how it is. They're like, great, you know, we just bear the cost of of everything. Um, 
it's it's just less uh less fun it's less enjoyable you know so when we're at like a group of like 20 25 people and maybe the owners had the business for 20 30 years and there's long-term employees there like that's a great referral for us um we want we establish relationships with all the employees i mean i i look at my business clients um obviously the business owner is my client but i really look at like each employee is my client you know and we try and give them good advice and establish relationships with them. And then really what you see after like year two, year three, year four, they really start to engage with you. They really open up. So as a health insurance agent, we know everything. We know their income. We know who's sick, who's healthy, the family status. Are they married, divorced? We dive into all those details. Um, and so, yeah, it takes time for employees to really divulge that information to us. Sure. And I think maybe just because my competition's not doing it, right? I mean, I come out and like, maybe I'm a little too in their face. I'm very personal. And uh, it, it takes a while to build that relationship, that trust. So yeah, we, we wanna work with people uh, that care about other people. And so that's those are good referrals for us. Business owners that are really trying to grow their business. They're trying to invest in their employees. They understand that if they have good employees, they're going to have a good company. You know, if they change their employee benefits, it actually changes their company in a way. Um, you know, so that's what we like to do. In your, I guess, experience with small business owners, what are you able to maybe adjust or change to make it fit within their budget? Um, what are some common things that are changed in order to help them to make it make sense for not only them as the employer, but also the employees? Yeah. So that's a great question. So actually, um, a couple things. I, I would say the most basic thing is offering more than one plan choice. It's very easy to just like as a company to pick out a plan and say, that's the one we're going with, you know, get the get the employees signed up. But then at renewal time, there's no options if something goes wrong. So what we want to do is offer like a wide spectrum of, of plans, usually like some HMO and some PPO. And then we'll counsel the employees, hey, like if you're healthy, go on a lower cost plan. So as we're doing this, as we're, we're getting people sorted out into the correct plans, we're as much as possible, we're putting people onto lower plans if they need to, which is lowering costs for the company. That's number one. The other thing too is, at renewal time, the rates are going to go up and employees will automatically, uh, you know, like migrate to lower costing plans. Again, keeping costs lower for the company. So it, it's a simple decision to offer these different plans, but actually it takes a lot of work on our end. On the back end, we have to do more quoting, more underwriting. So that's the work we put in. But when you do that, when you make that decision, it actually makes things better. It helps keep costs down. The other big part of it is um, is the plans that we administer, flexible spending accounts. So if I can get an employee, instead of spending $100 more on health insurance every month, if I can get them to put that money into a savings group account, we've just lowered insurance costs by $100 a month. And multiply that out times 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 employees. So those employees are going to use those funds to pay for their their claims, medical, dental, vision. If they don't, a lot of cases it belongs to them. It's a savings account. Some of it might roll over into the next year. We're reducing payroll taxes. So again, it's more work for us. It's more work for us as the broker and administrator, but the end result is way better for the employee and the employer. We're giving them options. We're, we're making it easy for them to save money. We're making it simple for them to spend less on insurance. So that's kind of the basic gist of it. Have you found that some employers don't even know that that option exists in order to oh, reduce some expenses and how they can more effectively use a dollar spent? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we really do. So health insurance is like a mysterious foreign land to a lot of people. And the, well, it seems like it's constantly changing too. The, the so language, unfortunately, you can't, you can't pinpoint this is never going to change or this is a fixed thing that's going to stay on for five years. You know, one of the hardest things I think is a self-employed person or a business in general is controlling expenses, right? Definitely. And then on top of that, you can't control revenue. Although you can project things, all of your business is based off of, you know, 
as I would say it, the planning for business in the hope that it comes in and growth. Right. But then if your expenses to do business changes, well, then part of your modeling for even your day-to-day operations and what you're charging for the services or goods that you provide change as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you made mention here that let's just say there was a 12% increase right. year over year. And an employer that really doesn't put the effort and time to create some diversity as far as product mixes and offerings mm-hmm. might then pass that cost on to the employee. Well, the employee is not going to get a 12% year over year cost of living adjustment or meritus, let's, you know, raise, if you will. So I can see that being a huge benefit, offering something that's outside then, the box thinking. And then think about that employee that just took a 12% hit on their health insurance. Do you think they're talking to their brother-in-law at the sure. football game on Saturday? Like, yeah, my company pays on they, yeah. they it, it just kind of brings down morale sure. and employees just- Isn't it odd? It, it's outside <laughs> of the actual description of what you do, but it right. affects what you do. It really does. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a distinguishing point because I, I think the central message, what I'm hearing here, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that your company cares. You, you actually have the individual, not only the one that you're insuring, but the company- in your mind, in your heart, and how you guys are presenting what you're presenting. Because I think there's families behind this. There's lives, you know, behind this. There's experiences that they have that potentially be life-altering. Medical and loss, both of those things in general, whether it be, you know, an injury or just a medical condition or a life-altering diagnosis, it changes every facet of what you do daily. And what you do becomes very, very important because the costs involved in trying to manage that, literally people have chosen not to go in to be seen, to be taken care of because of that. I'd say I'd say it like this. Because we care, we do, we do a lot of extra work to really try and make things... Um, as good as possible for our clients. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and once once you start helping people and like, oh, your husband just had a heart attack and or maybe it's their son who's in the hospital, like that's the most important thing in their life at that time. And you're gonna walk through them with that, um, through that time period. And so you really understand like, wow, like I can have a really positive impact on these people's lives so, yeah, I mean, I do. I get some satisfaction out of that. It doesn't always work out that great, right? Sometimes True. you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, it's going to cost you money, and I'm sorry. And, but, um, no, we. I do feel like on a day-to-day basis, we're helping a lot of people. You know, <clears throat> I'll just go in and tell a story of how you've helped our family. I had two instances where the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare, right, uh, basically did not require after uh, the last presidency that we – use the employer sponsored plan. And at that time I was forced to use um, the family coverage through my employer and it was really expensive. I, I mean, yeah. it, it was terribly expensive. And what I found out during open enrollment was if I could do the employee only, my cost was like $47 per pay period mm. versus $1,100 per pay period <laughs> for the family plan. Yeah. So then uh, you were able to give me some options using uh, third party. In this case, it was Blue Cross Blue Shield, I believe it Blue was. Blue Shield, yeah. And my costs went down significantly. It was like less than $800 a month for the whole month. And what it really pointed out to me is that the systems that we had in place at the time, I think had an overall intention, but as it was applied, they had to get through certain things and repeal certain things to provide more flexibilities for families to actually truly save them the money that they needed and still provide ample coverage. Because here's the reality. You have a younger family. They're healthy. They rarely are going to the doctors for any major medical. So it's maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. But that's when you select the high deductible plans. And that's what I had. And then, you know, we chose these things based off of a consultation. It wasn't like you know, closing my eyes and pointing and saying, that's the plan I want to go with, <laughs> which I think it's very, it's it's literally a different language. I, I work in the mortgage industry and I can speak mortgage speak and it's going to go over, I would say, a good percentage of the clients that we talk to. But you have to be able to break it down, provide them with some understanding of why they're doing what they're doing, but also what they're doing with what they're doing, right? So their money spent shouldn't be wasted. One thing I found is that in that process of learning, 
you start developing trust, right? And and that trust was very high with you and, and I felt comfortable and I wouldn't go anywhere else for that very reason. And then we had another situation that came up where I actually had to use the services. My son um, wound up having to go into the hospital and it was very emotional for my wife and myself and my daughter, you know, uh, we're all very tight. And as a family, we didn't know what to expect. And one of the things that I asked you was, I'm going to blow through this high deductible cost pretty quickly. So you made a recommendation of using the insurance savings group, Benny card to then make what you contribute possibly tax advantaged. Correct. Which was a huge benefit because I do have, you know, um, basically an HSA card. Mm -hmm. But once you blow through all those funds, then this alternative, the supplemental option, I was able to throw an extra $3,000 in and then present that to my CPA. Yeah. You know, Darren in, in our group and say, hey, this was contributed to this is this something that's tax advantage goes absolutely so he puts it in there perfect yeah and that's a huge benefit because yep. every dollar counts let's be perfectly sure. honest i mean it's it's hard to earn money it's also very easy to uh waste money mm-hmm. and i think having someone in your in your court willing to coach you and not looking you this way but standing beside you looking that direction and saying hey this is kind of what we see this is what we've seen happen in the past this is probably a better course of action let's see if this would be the right way to go and then you can then make a decision so i appreciate you my family appreciates you my son's doing great by the way but i'll tell you what um when you start seeing a five to seven thousand dollar ambulance bill to transfer <laughs> it's it's really and, and somebody was ambulatory too it was more like somebody they had to be on rv or anything no they would not allow me to drive my son to madeira for a children's hospital um i had to go by ambulance but well, what do you do with that right i mean it, it was but those types of things again were unexpected and, and nobody wants or plans i hopefully don't you know, to go to the hospital, get injured and experience those types of losses. So, So, you know, going back to the, thank you for that testimonial. And yeah, I mean, um, as much as that really wasn't an ideal situation for any family, I think maybe we made the best out of it really. Um, But yeah, going back to the medical billing, that man, I feel like that's the other big thing that I do. We don't charge for it, but we do a lot of just like medical bill inspection, maybe negotiation. Um, and just really kind of looking line by line and helping people decipher this foreign language that they've got the statement, they don't understand it at all. And a lot of times once you do that, actually once the client understands it, then they can say, oh, well, I think it should be this or it's fair or it's not fair. But the biggest hurdle is just getting them to understand what's going on there. So we do that a lot. And again, it's one of the main ways I think people save money on their healthcare is a lot of times the bills come in and it's really easy or simple to just call the provider and get on a payment plan and, and you pay it, but that's not always what's right. So we, we, we do um, a lot of that as well. Yeah. It's, it's very much appreciated. I'm sure that if you have clients that listen to this podcast and uh, say, hey, I know that's Duncan, I know Duncan, right. Uh, they'll be able to have some similar, I guess, experiences. So what are some uh, things that you would give as far as advice to potential uh, clients as far as when their open enrollment comes and maybe when they're selecting uh, insurance services if they have choices? Well, a couple things. Um, what what is what is healthcare as a segment of our economy? What is it? Seventeen, eighteen percent, something I'm like that. Not sure. It's a large percentage. Would you agree? Disagree? Yes. So here's here's what I mean by for bringing that up is we're actually spending a huge amount of our income of our resources on uh, medical coverage and so when your open enrollment rolls around hey take 10 minutes and like call your agent the other thing too uh working with an agent is free in the health insurance industry so i am a, a broker essentially and if i put my name and license number on your application the insurance company just pays me a commission on the back end. It's already built into the rate. So you can go online and do it yourself. You're going to get the exact same rate if you just come to my office and like I'll help you do it for you and give you good advice. And then I can kind of coach you through as things come. So I would say that, look, 
you get one time a year really to kind of move your plan, change your coverage. Take 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes and talk to an agent, whoever your broker is or through your employer and figure out what's best because if you add up the dollars, you, you probably could save thousands of dollars every year um, on taxes or insurance or both. Um, so yeah, definitely just to always look. And the other reason to look is that the laws change. The laws change all the time. I mean, I've got some stuff here on Medicare. It's going to drastically change what people pay every month, what their coverage is going to look like. And it's just really common for people to sign up on a health insurance plan and they're, maybe they're not using it and they just leave it and they never change it. They never change it until 15 years down the road. Then something happens to them and they have no idea what they have. The costs are inflated. The plan really doesn't fit them anymore. Their, their life has totally changed. They bought this policy when they had kids. Now they don't anymore. They're out of the, out of the house. I mean, just your life is so dynamic and that's why there's so many health insurance options is that, you know, they're going to fit your, your certain situation. So yeah, just to, I would just encourage people take the time uh, and work with an agent, you know, every year and just really make sure you're on the right program. So for a current uh, employer that maybe is listening to this podcast and says, you know, my agent really isn't that actively involved. They just kind of send us this packet and said, Hey, we can provide this for you. Uh, open enrollment will start this time. We'll help roll it out. When is a good time for this employer that maybe is already committed for this open enrollment pyramid to contact your office and say, Hey, we're thinking about a change. We're not committed to anything, but what do you think? Here's, here's what we got going on. When would be a good time for them to do that? Yeah. So like in general, let's say like 90 days before a, a planned or scheduled change. The other thing to know is a small company can actually change benefits at any time. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So like if they decide in July they're unhappy with their health insurance plan with United Healthcare, they can switch it to Blue Shield or whatever. So and what happens to the premiums they did pay? Um yeah, everything gets adjusted and then every year the plan just renews in July. Uh -huh. So I, I do like to line up renewals with the end of the year, with the calendar year, only because that's when deductibles reset. Plan Max is reset. That's when your all your health plans reset, FSAs and HRAs. So it is convenient. The end of the year is definitely our busy time. Uh, we feel like CPAs were, you know, they have a, a really busy tax season. We have a really busy open enrollment season. Sure. So we're in October now. What are we, the 14th? I mean, my phone just rings and we set appointments every day. We'll be busy until, really until March. But, um, you know, the next three months will be pretty full for us. So. Now, thinking that way, um, sometimes people have these benefits, they may expire. Explain what that means, because I've heard that before, but I have not thought about like, uh, they say, if you don't spend it, you lose it. I don't I know what that really refers to. So there's a couple different things that kind of have uh, expiration dates, right? So um, like dental benefits expire. A lot of times dental benefits don't roll over or accrue. Um, flexible spending accounts, uh, any unused funds could be lost at the end of the year on December 31st. Maybe if your company is helped paying a portion of your medical bills through like an HRA or health reimbursement, those funds are probably going to go away. And really what it takes to mitigate that is some planning, right? So I, I want to make sure my employees understand, hey, you know, here's what's going on behind the scenes with your insurance policy. So make sure you get your work done at this time, or we want to delay it and start it at this time. And again, that's, that's where like the relationship comes in. If I go out to an open enrollment meeting and no one talks to me and they just sign the form and leave. Okay. That's great. We got the paperwork, but then they're going to go and try and use that dental policy. And they're going to find out, Oh crap. If I had just done this and that, wow, that would have saved me $1,500. Sure. So again, it's like, man, if you could just have a relationship with your health insurance agent and hopefully they're a good agent if not call me but yeah i mean like uh take the dental benefits you know so your dental plan is going to offer a certain amount of benefits every year and they expire but if you time your your work correctly your dental work you can use benefits in one year and then double your benefits the next year so uh, but it has to be timed correctly otherwise sure. if you start that work in july your benefits are going to run out you're going to be left paying whatever it, it didn't pay for. So I'm um, really, I feel like I'm a financial counselor more than anything, like just helping people save money and, and navigate the, the pitfalls of the medical industry we have.
It's interesting because I find myself in the same boat. <laughs> I, I literally am touching so many facets of somebody's finances right, that right. It, it can't but um, bleed into personal because right, right. so much rides on making a major purchase. Yeah, and I think uh, investing in your health is a big deal as well. So when you when you don't think about those things or have any education, I think you kind of, as I alluded to earlier, just kind of cover your eyes and point. You're not sure mm -hmm. what to do. And the general consumer, and even employers, let's be honest, they're good at what they do as an employer, but they could you know, really use some education in that field. And some are probably more receptive than others to actually getting that. But once you establish that trust, I'm sure that you're going to do your best to give them the best offerings and provide them with a level of service that will create for them value. And then loyalty, I believe. So what you're saying is exactly true, where people are kind of uh, going with the flow of whatever health insurance, like they don't know what they have, but they're just kind of signing up and they're covering their eyes and they're going with it, right? So probably the biggest thing that I hear after we educate people, whether it's a business owner or a Medicare person, is who's been doing that, is they feel this huge relief, like, mm. oh, Sure. Like, and really what it is, is because they understand it, they have a sense of control over what's going on. And that's a huge relief to people. Sure. Where maybe before they're like, it's a worry spot for them. It's causing them anxiety because they don't know. They have no control over it. And then we come in and we're like, well, here's kind of the basics. And you want to do these basic things. And you understand why we're doing that. Yes, yes. And they're like, oh my gosh, they feel so much better. And really, I'm just educating them, you know. And then look, we we offer good products, you know. I mean, we work with the best companies. And like I said, we make our money long term. So if I just put you on something I know you're going to or you're going to be dissatisfied with, you're going to leave me in a year. We do a lot of our work up front. We lose money on accounts like that. So we have to, uh, as much as we can, try and keep clients as long as possible. And that means it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a trade-off. It means that we're making less money in the short term, doing more work in the short term, but over the, over the long term, it, it will pay off. You know, that's, it's huge to know that you're thinking about the investment up front as being a long-term relationship. And if you do your job correctly, I believe people will stay loyal, even if the price adjustments are reasonable. I mean, if, if the cost changes are so dramatic that it dramatically changes what they can do financially, I can see them making a change. But cheap is not always better, right? So I think that's also another uh, deciding factor for small businesses and even medium to large businesses. I mean, they do it to scale. But when you're dealing with expenses, um, businesses have to look at the bottom line. And I think that sometimes does supersede the education and such if they're not directly involved. So I think that what I'm hearing you say is that any employer, owner of a company or an administrator that is vested in doing the best for their people, I think they're going to make the best decision. It's not going to be just something by accident or just the lowest price. So that that's huge. So um, what's going on right now in your industry that maybe is something that's top of mind that would be important to discuss right now. Yeah, thank you. And I brought a bunch of paperwork to talk about this. So actually lots. So let's talk about the um, Inflation Reduction Act, which affects a couple of my markets, which would be Covered California for individuals and then Medicare for seniors. <clears throat> Excuse me. So look, um, there have been enhanced subsidies, meaning Covered California actually pays a portion of people's health insurance bills every month. Those subsidies were enhanced when COVID hit and the Inflation Reduction Act uh, continued those for another three years. So what that means is it's more affordable for individuals to buy health insurance who covered California. Those subsidies are going to remain for, you know, at least the next foreseeable future, which is nice. It's making a uh, cost lower for people. So again, the early retiree, the self-employed person um, can now maybe find a better deal or uh, just save some money on health insurance. The other thing that it's doing is it's it's really kind of dramatically changing um, drug costs for Medicare beneficiaries. So I could do like a three hour long presentation on Medicare drug coverage, which is extremely complicated, but it's doing a couple things. So currently 
um, the government outsources its drug coverage to private insurance companies or, or drug plans. And those drug plans negotiate with the drug companies to set a price for their plan. So the Inflation Reduction Act changed that. Now the government is going to negotiate directly with drug companies. And what they're going to do is they're going to target the 10 drugs every year. It starts like in 2026. They're going to take the 10 most expensive drugs, and then they're going to start negotiating those and, and try and get the price down lower. And the idea behind that is, hey, look, there's like 62 million people on Medicare. They should be able to negotiate more effectively than like a little small drug plan with 8 million people. Um, and they should. Um, however, the other part of the law is going to change how drug companies receive revenue. So as you may or may not know, drug companies, uh, they own the patents on their drugs for so many years, and then they can be, uh, be distributed or, excuse me, manufactured as generics. So some of that's changing, right? They're also changing um, how much money Medicare is going to pay on the back end for drugs. The drug companies are going to have to pay more on the back end, which means they're going to have to cover the cost somewhere else. Um, so look, in general, I think there's, there's a lot of laws changing this where um, Medicare beneficiaries are going to pay probably less on the back end, but like in a catastrophic situation, they would pay less. But for the average person, they're actually going to see an increase in their monthly premiums. They're actually going to see an increase in their drug costs because there's a lot of these uh, gaps in coverage. If you get really sick in Medicare, um, that are filling those gaps, which is nice. That's great. Um, but the vast majority of people are going to pay higher drug expenses for that. So I wanted to give you an, an idea. So uh, let's see if I can find this. But I, I read um, a stat today in an article as I was reading this, and essentially it said 50% um, of the government's drug spending is, is these catastrophic situations where someone has blown through their initial drug coverage in Medicare, and now the government is paying 80% of their drug costs. So that's 50% that's of the government's Medicare drug spending. There's 62 million people in Medicare, and that 50% of spending is coming from 1 million Medicare beneficiaries. So roughly 2% of the Medicare population is accruing 50% of the drug costs. So what's going to happen? Let me just explain it a different way. The, the 1 or 2% that's incurring all those costs, they're going to see those costs go down. That's what the bill really addresses. But for the other 98%, of Medicare beneficiaries, the, the costs are going to be shifted over to them. Sure. So lots of changes, um, good and bad. Like I said, I think if you're in a catastrophic situation with your prescriptions where you just had a heart attack or a stroke, you're taking 18 or 20 prescriptions, that happens, you're going to pay less. That's great. Um, but maybe for the person who's healthy, uh, they're going to have a more expensive monthly drug payment. It's going to shift people from... Um, Medicare supplements to Medicare Advantage plans, and then it's going to come out of the extra benefits that people get. So a bunch of cost shifting going around, which will just create, you know, a confusion and, and people switching plans and stuff. So here's a question. Um, with Medicare, mm -hmm. is this something that they re-enroll every year, like, say, an open enrollment? Um. Yes and no. So again, it's like the language that you used, right? So no one actually has to re-enroll, but they have open enrollment periods where they can change their coverage. So if they just did nothing, you know, if, if they just were living in a cave, their plan would renew automatically. Mm -hmm. um, but there's several times throughout the year where they can change their drug plan, change their Medicare Advantage plan. Um, and, and new laws like the Inflation Reduction Act are going to cause more activity, more changes during those periods because people are going to get notices from their insurance company. Hey, by the way, you know, we've had to implement these changes. So instead of a $20 per month uh, drug plan, it's going to be 87. You know, we're going to, we're going to see stuff like that. So, so one of the things that I was just thinking about as you're going through these numbers of 62 million Americans on Medicare it just tells me these were all the baby boomers, basically. And there's a large percentage that still have not entered that age 
So what is that projection maybe the next five years? Do you have any idea what those numbers look like? You know what? I used to know the number, but it's something like in America, it's like 10,000 boomers a day are turning 65 or something. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's a it's a tsunami wave of uh, a demographic all shifting into this Medicare program every day, every month, every year. So are you finding more people working longer and then eventually deferring, I guess, entry into using Medicare as a supplement up until the point and then they it, go full time on or full all in, if you will, on Medicare? People take Medicare when they are retired in general. So... People retire at all different ages, I would say. The answer to your question is it's a really quite a wide spectrum. Because people are getting Medicare at 65 or when they retire, it really comes down to that retirement decision. That's when they're uh, when they're signing up. So it's quite it's wide open, actually. I, I have people on Medicare that are uh, disabled. They're 30 years old. And some people who are going on it for the first time at 75 years old. Yeah. I, and that's what I was expecting. Yeah. I just find that even in my industry, I'm seeing people working longer. And, you know, they're still carrying long-term mortgages in later ages just because of the need financially. And I think it really has to depend, I guess, on things that have happened financially for them in the past and what they were able to do or unable to do. So it created, um, I guess, a delayed retirement if if they're able to retire at all let's be perfectly honest not everybody has that luxury some people have a modest way of living and they can live off of social security by itself others require that additional income in order to make it and they'll start collecting social security as additional supplements well, so anecdotally i would say that most of my clients are retired between 65 and 67 so I don't know if that's working longer or not, but sure. Well, you that, might not even encounter them yeah. until they're at that stage. That's that, my point. And that though. pretty that pretty much tracks right along with like the full retirement age for Social Security. So, and I guess where I'm going with that is is that the the long term looking ahead for just the Medicare uh, clients that you may I guess encounter, you've got a very large pool of people that could definitely benefit from your services, you know, as a practice and what you do. Now, I know that we spent a lot of time on the Medicare and we spent some time on the employee benefits. Um, in an ideal situation, are you targeting one group versus another? No. Mm -mm. You know, and our clients flow through all three markets. <clears throat> they, uh, they start as a self-employed person, they grow a business, now they have an employee benefit program, they retire, they become our Medicare clients. So we work with employees, they get laid off, they change jobs, we sign them up on Covered California. They, I mean, it, 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 they all just kind of flow around. So um, no, we don't focus on any one market segment. Um, although we'd like to, it, it would definitely make our job easier and more simple other agents do that I, I really think it's to the detriment of our clients to exclude one one market segment or, or the other it would hurt them it would hurt the relationship long term so no we don't do that so moving on some of the questions here um what do you think is the best part of your job uh i like the numbers i like the spreadsheets if you give me a spreadsheet i can derive meaning from that um which not a lot of people can do but no it, it's the relationships for sure it's definitely uh when you've gone back to that company four years five years six years in a row you really get uh, a deep understanding of what they're trying to do and uh you just you can make better decisions at that point you can make better decisions with someone that you have known for a long time than someone you just met so I guess it comes down to like being more effective and and getting more satisfaction out of the job. Like, yeah, I, I was I really made a difference here. Um, I I like that. The other thing is, um, I mean, I I look at it. I'm very creative financially too, you know. So I think most people just want to, most agents want to sell insurance and they want to maximize for their own selfish interest how much premiums you're paying because that increases their commission. I don't look at it like that. I think, man, what could we do different here that would save this person money, build some loyalty, you know, maybe I get a referral out of the deal. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. So I think I'm a little, maybe a little more creative. I like that side of, of health insurance. 
So one thing that I've always appreciated about our relationship is the fact that you're a natural educator. I, I think it, it it's it seeps out of you as being like, hey, if this is something I know, I want to share it. If it's something that I can stand and support, I'm going to help you to help yourself because you just don't know that information. And I've we've been internally grateful for that in the group. And so that kind of segues to the last question here. You know, what has Spatial Business Partners meant to you and your business? It's huge. So I think I started in the group in 2010, I believe. You were in high school at that time, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. It's been a while. Uh, 2010. And um, man, I love that we have a core group of members that have been around as long as me, longer. And uh, it's huge. I, I mean, I have developed relationships with everyone in the group, I'd like to say. And obviously really strong relationships with like our, uh, our power teams, you know, our other financial people, the CPAs that we work, that I work closely with the other insurance agents. And uh, I couldn't tell you as a percentage of our business, but it's, it's thousands per year that we do um, in sales and in new business sales. I mean, I got a referral from Marcy yesterday, you know? So I, I just, it's huge. I, I, I should track it. If I did, it'd probably blow me away. But um, obviously it's, it's made sense since 2010. Uh, I've been there for 12 years. I don't plan on making any changes. So, and and then the other thing too is uh, is the education and the relationships I get from the group. So outside of the professional relationships, obviously we uh, we do extracurriculars. There's golf. There's fishing. I really do enjoy some of the members in our group and um, the education. Man, I I feel like I know so much about the real estate market and just what's going on in other segments of the economy. And uh, that helps me relate to my clients and, and build a stronger connection and, you know, build a better business really. So um, I just, I love the group. I don't know if I'd say anything bad about it. So yeah, love it. Yeah. One thing I can tell you is um, it's kind of come to my forefront that a networking organization that has solid, consistent members creates loyalty and trust as being the go-to person to get information. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you've probably used this at your disposal. If somebody's in the looking zone for a product or service and there's somebody that's represented in our group that you know and trust, you can confidently refer that person. It creates value for them because they don't know where to turn. Um, you know, going online will get you so far, but that's not the same as a personal recommendation and creating that type of trust. Also, uh, it, it lands on your shoulders and, and I can't say this enough. If a new member comes in and they're not receiving referrals right away, most of the members are still trying to get to know that person. It's mm -hmm. not that they would not eventually refer but I, they, they haven't established trust with you. They, they, they're putting their name, their credibility on that referral. So it's vitally important that we spend some time investing in ourselves and creating value by doing our best, having, as I would say, social proof of the things that we say we can do by just executing on those things. But being somebody of integrity as well. You know, if you can't do it, that's okay. I mean, it's very clear that we have other insurance professionals in our group. It does not mean that they cannot do a portion of what you do, but they may not do what you do as well. So therefore, it makes more sense for their business to refer that client to you. It also creates some diversification. And I believe in my industry, there are plenty of people that do what I do, but maybe they don't do it the way I do it. Right. And I think that's a differentiating factor. Sometimes we talk about the value proposition. What is your unique selling proposition, your USP? And you really think about it. You say, oh, I have great rates or, you know, I have great service or, you know, we're fast at closing or, you know, the, these are the things that we do great. And then they can cross their arms and say, well, that's really no different than everyone else has told right. me. That sounds like every other guy. Yeah. So ultimately yeah. It, it's, the mush between your ears. It's that that information that you can provide, the number of at-bats, the, the, the things that you've seen that have created some knowledge and wisdom to help you to make different decisions or just being on top of your game. From what I'm seeing here today, uh, you're looking at notes like all the time. 
daily because your industry is dynamic, meaning there may be something that changes that is going to affect millions of people, yet it's not common knowledge yet. And right. the way a lot of people consume this information is either social media, media in general, mm -hmm. or things that sent directly to them. And you know, there's so much junk mail out there. How many people actually read the things that come to them? Uh, maybe a greater percentage of your clients, uh, just because of their <laughs> demographic, their age, and some of them probably don't trust technology. So, you, you know, th there is a difference though. And, and I think that having that ability to create value um, is a real testament to, I guess, the way you do business, but the way our members like to do business. And that's just being consistent, being trustworthy, being somebody of integrity and providing value where we can, and then also being honest about what we are weak at. So we covered a lot of things today, Duncan. Is there anything that I didn't cover that you want to talk about? No, that's it. I mean, just... Um... I think you did a good job in my place, maybe trying to take my, uh -huh. my spot as <laughs> podcast host. No, I mean, it, if we were to cover everything uh, in health insurance and Medicare and everything, it would be a, a month-long seminar. Sure. That's why I always tell people, just call our office, tell us your specific situation, and we'll, we'll line you out. We'll tell you what, what you got to do. So if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Yeah, phone number 432 one four seven four it's actually four three two one isg is the phone number and they can text or call great that number and do you have a website join isg.com excellent well thanks again for your time duncan and i appreciate your uh efforts and just keeping all those people in your uh fold taken care of no problem thanks for having me